Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today we celebrate the first of Advent, so it is only a few weeks until Christmas, and therefore Daniel Zuch preaches a first Christmas-centered sermon for this season. Looking at Mary, what do we know about her from the Bible? And taking her life as an example, what can we learn for ourselves from her? Join us now as Daniel preaches about this interesting topic. I'm, I'm particularly uh, thankful to be here with you on this first Advent Sunday. And I just want to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Church of Jesus Christ around the world in different cultures has said that the first Advent Sunday marks also the beginning of the new church year. And that is a wonderful tradition because we start off this new year thinking about the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, which came into this world when Jesus Christ came into this world. And we can do a kind of like a reboot every year, focusing on what's most important, what is central. And that's the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, one of the people that played a very significant role in that whole story as Christ came into the world was Mary. Now, she played a significant role beyond just his birth. We read, we can read of that in the Gospels. Uh, and and I think it's wonderful, like if you've seen The Chosen before, the series The Chosen, how they show the women along with the men following this rabbi Jesus and learning from him and that Mary was a part of that. She was a follower of her son Jesus, an apprentice, a learner of her son Jesus. And she played an important role, too, at his birth, obviously. Um, but when you talk about Mary in certain circles, evangelical circles, people start to get nervous. Uh, often Mary isn't even mentioned except around Christmas time. Now, there's a reason for that. It's because there have been some teachings about Mary that have come out through the different years from different denominations or, or different teachers, which go, in the opinion of many, way beyond what the Bible says. So things like the Immaculate Conception of Mary, that Mary was born without original sin, or the veneration of Mary, worshiping her, or for some, a small minority in the uh, Catholic Church, for instance, want to see Mary seen as a co-redeemer, that her suffering during the time of Christ, her son's suffering, contributed to the salvation of individuals. Now, we obviously say, even when we try to understand what the background of all that is and what the rationale for it, we say, oh, we have problems with that. We can't go there. But there's been, uh, uh, in German, we would say, a pendelreaktion. 
there's been a swing in the total other direction in conservative evangelical circles that Mary is hardly ever mentioned, except in the Christmas story. And I find that to be very, very sad because Mary can teach us a lot. Mary is somebody from whom we can learn during this Advent time and during this time of lockdown number four. And I want us to, uh, to look at some of what Mary can teach us through her life, through her example, and through what she did. Now, um, the, the timing of when this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, the announcement, the oiangelion, and for you, those of you who were here when I preached on that, that was an, a, a, a word, the good news, that was familiar because it would be used to describe when a, in the Kaiser uh, familia, in the Caesar familia, the uh, family, there would be a birth of a new son. And the town crier would go through and say, good news, good news. And they would announce that or, the, or, the, um, or like a victory in a battle. And that's the word that was used to describe the announcement of Jesus Christ coming into this world. Good news, oiangelion. But that happened in a time in kind of an unexpected way because there had been 400 years of silence. The last prophet, Malachi, who prophesied and brought God's word to the people after they had been come back into the land from the Babylonian exile, was the last prophet that brought God's word. And that was around 430 B.C. And there was a lot that happened in, the, in history in Israel time between 400 B.C. and the birth of Christ, but there was no prophetic word. Nothing that came directly from God. And theologians, historians have called this the 400 years of silence. But then, God began to speak again. He spoke first to a priest in Jerusalem who was doing his priestly duty in the temple to let him know that something special was going to happen. And about at the same time, or a little after, he spoke to a young girl, a teenager, probably a young teenager, who lived in an un- unimportant area of Israel. She lived in, in Nazareth, in Galilee. It was say in German, in the Pampa. And God began to speak. He spoke through the angel. He began, this 400 years of silence was broken. God began to make an announcement that he was on the move. 
that something wonderful was going to happen in history that would change the world forever. And I would like for us now just to be reminded of that through a video. You're used to me showing videos, a Bible project videos about Luke 1 and 2 that brings out both of these events. And notice and listen carefully to how that's all connected to what God had said hundreds and hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In the city is the temple run by the priests, and one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that this son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. There we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary, saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David, who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks, and an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate. Because tonight in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. 
Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby, and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place, and their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. When the angel spoke to Zechariah, the priest, the father of John the Baptist, uh, he didn't believe the angel. And we could take the time to read that story, that he was not able to speak for a long term. Now, he did believe it later on, uh, but his first reaction to this message from God through the angel was, uh, I don't think so. And that stands in contrast to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I think Luke deliberately puts both of those stories in there side by side to show that here was a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem and he didn't believe, but here was a young teenage girl living in an, in an area that was poor, living in an area that wasn't known to be a, an exciting area to come from, and this teenage girl says, yes, I believe. And I'd like for us to look at, at Luke 1, chapter, ch- chapter 1, uh, just to read this a little bit, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, (coughs) Excuse me, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, we just make a pause right there. Uh, what the announcement, the good news was, is that the king is coming. But there was a problem. There was already a king. 
So this announcement to this young girl, young teenage girl in Nazareth had huge political implications. It had implications that could be, mean problems if propagated because it would be seen as a clash with the existing ruling order in Israel at that time with the Romans and the puppets people that they had ruling for them across that area of the world. But he, he, he make, he, the, the angel's announcement from God is very clear. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And now Mary's reaction, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. That is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing that this young girl would give a heartfelt yes to this message that she just received from this angel that would have huge implications and carried with it great risks. Now, there's that political risk, that political dimension, that the announcement was coming, there was, that there was a king coming, when there was already a king, that would cause problems. But there was also a great personal dimension to this. Back then, the way that, that the Jewish tradition and teaching was on marriage was that there was a time of engagement before the actual marriage where the, where the uh, wedding would be, the marriage would be consummated. And there was this period of time that they were engaged and it was more or less like being married in our understanding of marriage. But she just got the message that she was pregnant. And that was a problem. That was a problem. Because they would see her as being unfaithful to Joseph during the time of being engaged to him. And in spite of all the cultural pressure and all the, 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 the uh, talking about her being pregnant, she said yes to God. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, Zechariah didn't do that. The priest, 
He didn't believe it. He did later. But Mary's first response was trust and was faith and faith in what God's message was all about. Now, Mary was also a person who didn't understand everything all the time. And I'm sure all the implications of what she had just uh, heard weren't really clear to her. Later, as Jesus was older, there was a time when he started to say some hard things that brought pressure from the, from the Pharisees and everything. We read that uh, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark that Mary and her family thought Jesus had gone out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. And they came to get him. So it's not as if everything was, we would say, uh, hunky-dory pie in the sky for her. She struggled too. So faith and doubt were together in the experience of Mary and yet the faith and the doubt was something that happened in the context of remaining loyal to God. Now, today, uh, there's a buzzword that goes around. It's called deconstructionism. And that has existed uh, you know, for, for hundreds of years. But it's something that some people who were committed Christians in the evangelical church have begun to relook at their faith and say, is this really the true thing? And I think there's a healthy deconstructionism which remains loyal to Christ and open to Christ where you cut out the things that aren't really the things that are essential. And there's another type of deconstructionism in faith that are, is leading people away from God, away from Christ, just to go out and do their own thing or to other religions. And that may be the case with some of you sitting here right now. You're in a process in which there are some doubts in your mind about some things. Perhaps those doubts have been caused by things you've experienced in the church of Jesus Christ. That's a main cause of people wanting to go away from, from Christ is how other Christians have acted. Perhaps it's because you've experienced great suffering in your life. You haven't experienced God coming through for you the way that you had hoped, whether it would be financially or for things in your family. And perhaps that has caused a process to begin in you where you're saying, is this where I really want to be? Is this real? I want to say to you that we can learn from Mary during this time. From a young teenage girl 
who heard a message that carried with it great risk to her personally, great shame it could bring from her culture, great implications politically, and yet she said, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be with me as you have said. And I want to encourage all of you, whether you're watching here at home or you're sitting here, to use this time during the COVID lockdown and the time of the new year beginning with first advent to recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, even with the doubts. God is big enough to handle our questions and our doubts. Don't allow the doubts and your struggling, and Mary had those struggles too, to drive you away from God. Allow those doubts to fall on the side of you to push you towards God instead of allowing them to fall between you and God to drive you apart from God. I think there's an opportunity, particularly because we are in lockdown number four, to be able to reflect on these things more than if we were in our super, super busy work schedules. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity and to learn from Mary. She trusted God even when everything was not always clear to her and even when she struggled, struggled with what's going on here. But I think one of the reasons that she was able to have a response of trust and of faith, even with the open questions that she had in her heart and mind, was because she had internalized and thought deeply about God's work and word. The word of God, these great themes of the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was the Bible of that day, they did, there was no New Testament. These great themes of God's acting in the world through the nation of Israel to bring blessing to the whole world, through the seed of Abraham, through the, the people of Israel. Those were great themes that she thought deeply about. And even when the angel told her, uh, he mentioned all these themes of being from the father David and from Jacob. But she went to visit Elizabeth. And we read of that starting in verse 39 of Luke 1. And I want to read starting there. Luke 1 verse 39. At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, (coughs) and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So Elizabeth confirms this Mary is blessed. Mary is blessed. She is a woman who has believed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And Mary's response to that was what has been come known as the Magnificant, Mary's Magnificant. Um, and it is a, a beautiful uh, poem that has also been put to song. We don't know if it was something that was sung back then. We don't have any idea, but it's something that has all kinds of uh, 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 versions of it musically, some really beautiful ones. But Mary is here, starting in verse uh, uh, 46. She is showing... In reflecting what Hannah prayed to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 to 10. And if you remember that story, I'm not going to take the time to go into that. But Hannah couldn't, and, and her husband, they weren't able to have a baby. But Hannah then was able to have a child... And she took that child, Samuel, who became the prophet Samuel, and she brought him to the temple and dedicated him for temple service. And she prayed and praised God when she did that. And now what Mary says here in these verses is reflecting all that that Hannah had said, and let, let's listen to what what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham 
and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This beautiful, beautiful prayer, poem, that Mary says to the Lord and in the presence of Elizabeth, the Magnificat, focuses the attention on how gracious and merciful God has been to Israel and how faithful he has been. And she saw herself as being part of the ongoing story of God wanting and going to bless the world through Abraham. She mentions that at the end of that. He's been faithful to Abraham and to his descendants forever. She saw her own story as part of God's story. She had internalized the word of God, these great themes of the word of God. They were a part of her DNA as a young Jewish lady. And a question for us is, are we internalizing the word of God especially these great themes throughout the Old and the New Testament, are we internalizing those? Are we meditating on those? Are those things, are those truths the things that are the anchor for our souls in the midst of COVID-4 lockdown? Again, I think covid is providing opportunities, has provided opportunities, and provides even more opportunities to not only recommit ourselves to God, even when we don't understand everything going on, or even when we're struggling, but I think it's also presenting opportunities for us to go deeper in the Word of God and to think over these things. And there's, a, there's also later, as the shepherds came uh, and, and brought and, and worshipped the newborn baby Jesus, said Mary pondered these things and thought them over in her heart. We have an opportunity, perhaps like never before, to go deeper into the word of God and to think on these great themes of the Bible during COVID. And I want to ask you, are you going to do that? Do you have a plan? Do you have something that you've been thinking through, asking God about, or perhaps interacting with one another about? About, okay, let's go deeper in the word of God together. Not to, not to just prom, uh, uh, promote my own hobby horse themes that I have that I talk about all the time, but to really just go deep into the word of God and allow God's word to, to go very deeply into me so that I am transformed by it as I recommit myself to Jesus Christ during this time. So, do you have a plan? I want to encourage you, and there are so many, especially because all of you here are English speakers, there are so many resources to go deeper into the Word of God. The Bible Project, which you've seen a number of the videos when I've been here, they have resources, they have video, great video resources, but they have other resources as well 
for Bible reading, and they have a series on Advent also that will take, can take you deeper into the Word of God and into the meaning of the good news of the kingdom of Christmas, what Christmas is really all about. So let me encourage you to use this time to allow the Word of God to become more and more internalized in your life, as Mary did. And the final thing I'd like to mention is that Mary played a very important role uh, in the time of Jesus' ministry up until the point where she was one of the ones there at the cross. She was there when Jesus, her son, was crucified. Jesus was, uh, Mary was one of the followers, the learner, the apprentices of Jesus, her son. She traveled with Jesus many times. She was a resource person. We, and it's very likely that Luke got his information about the birth of Christ and how all that was when he researched everything because he interviewed Mary. Mary told him what had happened. Mary was the source of the information about what she had experienced and about what was going on. Mary continued to play a very, very important role in the church, in the beginnings of the church. And one of the things that she did, she moved people to obedience and trust in Jesus. She encouraged other people. She challenged other people to trust and to obey her son. And one of the examples of that is in John chapter 2. Um, it's the wedding feast in Cana. And it's the place where Jesus did his first public miracle of changing the water into wine. And there's all kinds of ramifications. What was used, the containers for that were temple holy water containers and all kinds of implications of, of the details of that. But Mary and her family... They were guests, Jesus included, at this wedding feast in Cana. The wine runs out, and Mary goes to her son and says, uh, Jesus, you need to do something. And they have a very interesting conversation where Jesus says to her, uh, my time hasn't begun yet. My time has not yet come. But then he does do something. And as he's made the decision to go ahead and do something, she says to the servants in John 2, verse 5, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I think that characterized Mary's whole life and ministry as a disciple of Jesus, she encouraged people to follow what Jesus told them to do, just as she did at the wedding in Cana to the servants who were getting things ready for the miracle to happen. 
Her life was one of allowing people to be closer to her, but also of challenging people, of, of prodding people to obey and to trust her son. And I think, too, and perhaps even Christmas is always a little bit easier to talk to people about spiritual themes. It's always been the case, I think. But I think now with COVID, I think there's also probably more of an openness, at least my experience has been more of an openness to, to build a bridge to spiritual themes because of the uncertainty of life and of how things are going to be in another six months or in another year. Um, and I want to encourage all of you to take the risk of encouraging other people to obey Christ. Whether it's people in your family or neighbors or work colleagues or friends or one another, a very legitimate question as disciples of Christ or two questions are, what has Christ been showing you recently through the word of God or through things that he's prompted you about? And what are you doing about it? Are you following up on it? Are you obeying? Are you putting into practice what he's been showing you and talking to you about? A lot of times we have in our church cultures an information culture, and we're very satisfied with just getting more Bible information as if that's the goal. But the goal is not just to have more Bible information, as important as the Word of God is. The goal is for that Bible truth to transform us, to change us, and that we give that further as we make disciples of other people and give them not only Bible information, but also challenge them to follow up and to obey and to trust. And Mary did that. Do whatever he tells you. I want to encourage you this new year, starting on this first advent, to recommit yourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps somebody sitting here or watching, you've never really committed yourself at all. Now is the time. Now is the time. Even with doubts, even with open questions, you can recommit yourself to the Lord Jesus on this first Advent Sunday at the beginning of this new church year. Even with the doubts, even with wrestling with things. It's also an opportunity to go deeper into the word of God, to reflect on these great grand themes of the Bible, of the Old and New Testament, internalize them, and to, for us to see our stories in the context of God's story. And thirdly, it's an opportunity 
for us to encourage and challenge other people to do what Jesus said. To not only be a disciple that's learning and doing what Christ said, but to make disciples, to invest ourselves in other people, to make them disciples as people who go deeper in the word of God, but also do what the word of God says. I am very, very thankful for the opportunities that we have. I, even though I'm so tired of the COVID stuff, and we have my wife, Rachel, and I, we are going to be going to the States because Rachel's dad possibly has cancer, and we're waiting on a, on a diagnosis for that before we make a final decision when we're going to do that and everything. And it's like, oh, we just want to make plans. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air, but there's opportunity too because of the time in which we're leaving. And I hope that you won't see this as, as all negative, but you'll see what's happening now as an opportunity, an opportunity from God to go deeper into the good news of the kingdom and in the relationship with Jesus, who is the focus and the center point of the kingdom. Have a blessed Advent and a very, very Merry Christmas, and I'll be interested to hear what God is doing in you, but also through you as a church in the lives of people as you are disciples and as you make disciples who make disciples. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.